Welcome to the Series A podcast. We're here today with Shay Huang. Um, nice to see you, Shay. Nice to see you again, Laurel. So glad that you could make it. Thank um, you, my So the Series A podcast is all about getting to Series A and beyond. So growth, right? And I'm getting the chills already. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So we're bringing it back to, to difficult times, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we're trying to help other founders who are in that tough position of starting out and just getting up to their Series A and yep. kind of trying to figure things out. And you've already been there a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And so um, we want to do as much as possible to make their lives easier. The yeah. Are listening. I, I think the most important part that I saw kind of, um, in, you know, I've heard in your podcast is that you also focus on New York City companies. Yes. And so the first time that we had our first venture back in, you know, when we first started in 2009, 2010, it was like a wasteland. You know, there wasn't a lot of entrepreneurs that had operated at scale or could give you tips on how to raise a Series A in New York. Yeah, and there so, was there, yeah, exactly. And so I kind of <laughs> wish that there was this podcast, you know, back then. And so, yeah. Oh, you're a sweetheart. Right. Well, let's uh, start from uh, a little bit. Let's, let's go back a little bit in time. Uh, first of all, Tell us a little bit about Boxed itself, yeah, just sure. for the uninitiative. Yeah, Boxed is, is, a, is a warehouse club, so only the large items, only the large format of, of daily essentials. Uh, for anyone that doesn't have the physical means, the time, or the patience to go to a warehouse club, to a, to a brick-and-mortar warehouse club. It sounds like all of us. Yeah, well, it sounds like <laughs> basically yeah. these days, you know, in, in terms York. of, you know, folks in, in, in New York who don't have a, a, a car. Um, but then when you go out to the burbs and in the countryside, you know, folks just don't have either the time uh, or, or the patience to go. And then when you go to really kind of countryside places across the U.S. And, you know, they have populations of, what, 15,000 or 20,000 in their town. They're never going to get a big box store. Yet, you know, why can't they access wholesale savings? And so that's really who uh, so were you, is for. So um, when you first started it, were you thinking Sam's Club, Costco, going after that, that target? Yeah. So what I always thought was that um, why can't we create a service for a generation that, you know, won't be driving or won't have the patience, right? So whether taking share away from them or not, like I wasn't so sure about. But actually what we find is that the majority of our share that we take away actually aren't from the the, the big brick-and-mortar wholesale clubs. It's actually from uh, brick-and-mortar um, drugstore chains and supermarkets. Oh, so if you think about, you know, 81% of our audience is 25 to 44. If you think about the younger end of, of 25 to 44, they're, they're having families, moving into bigger apartments or houses, and then they no longer have the time or just, you know, or basically the means to, to, to buy the one-offs at Dwayne Reed every week. You know, they're like, I need to stock up because I have a family now. Yeah. And so when that generation goes out, are they more inclined to go for a three-hour trip or for um, a mobile app? And so that was our thesis. But what's the difference between you guys and the online version of Costco or Sam's Club or what have you? Yeah. What's, I mean, what, <laughs> so, what is but, the difference? So they all have a .com, but the vast majority of their site are actually items not available in store and vice versa. And so if you want to recreate your typical shop in-store, uh, the main warehouse clubs don't really deliver that same assortment to, to you uh, for a variety of, of, of reasons. So logistics being one of them. Also, at the end of the day, they're so good at driving people to stores and then, and then getting you to, to carry the industrial orange cart around and getting to add way too many things that that's their goal, right, is to get you in-store. And that's great. Um, but for our audience, you know, they're less inclined to do that. All right, let's, let's go back to the beginning. What made you decide, okay, I'm the guy to build this <laughs> <laughs> What year was that, and wh where did you get off thinking this? you could be 
as big as you've become? So I think there were two moments, uh, like kind of at least brain moments in my mind uh, when I was thinking about Boxed. Uh, the first was kind of when I was younger. Um, you know, I, I grew up in suburban New Jersey, as, as sexy as that is, you know. Um, a lot of great people grew up in suburban New Jersey, I might add. Um, I just went to the Price Club every other weekend with my family, right? And then when I moved my own family into Manhattan, I no longer had the physical means. I didn't have a car to take my family up to 116th Street. And so what I found was that, wait a minute, you know, we have a decent-sized apartment. It's not gigantic so that I don't want to go every weekend or every few days to Dwayne Reed and buy the four-roll toilet paper. So what I found myself doing was asking my parents to bring in these, these kind of like, you know, wholesale club packs from the Burbs. And then I realized that, wait a minute, I can't be the only person with this problem, right? <laughs> and so that was the, the kind of the evolution of the idea. Um, the second moment was actually a little bit before that on the B2B side of things when we helped run the, the, the Zynga Mobile New York office here in New York. So back um, up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Tell the audience what you did at Zynga and yeah, so, what your background was. Um, in about 2010, um, um, uh, I, was at a, uh, I was the CEO of a startup called uh, Astroape. And so we were one of the first mobile, gaming, mobile social gaming studios. And so everyone was making Mafia Wars, Farmville on the Facebook platform. And we just thought, wow, this, this iPhone 2G is going to be pretty big. You know, this is pretty cool. And so we made our first game for, for iPhone uh, even before the App Store launched, it was like iTunes only, I remember. Um, and, then, um, and then it started taking off from there. And so right when we were raising our next round of funding, uh, uh, Zynga ended up purchasing our company about 10 months before the IPO. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I rode the rocket ship, uh, IPO, <laughs> then 16 bucks a share. So IPO at 10, jumped to 16 and then I think within three quarters, it was like a dollar eighty-five. Oh god! And that has Did you to be cash out at all. In, so luckily, before? yeah, luckily at uh, our, our first company, there was a it was a component of cash, and then but a lot of our stock was was still Zynga stock, and so yeah, and so. You know. Did you were you? one of those people who held on to the Zynga stock or did you say, you know what, I'm going to cut my losses here. And <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to say uh, that I, I um, am one of the last kind of long-term holders of Zynga stock still. Cause at some point in time I felt like, you know, it can't like if you back out the cash and at the time the building cost, it was trading at zero EV, right? So it was like there was no enterprise value to Zynga, you know, if you back out the cash in the building. And so I figured it couldn't get worse. And I think at one time it might have touched into negative territory. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm not going to be a stock picker is, is what, I, what I know. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. <laughs> but you had some lessons that you learned about building a company. Yeah, I don't and- No MBA, but I felt like that was an MBA, uh, an MBA in, in, uh, in hard knocks. So yeah, I totally. Um, but did you, I mean, if I looked at you and I, okay, you created a mobile social game platform yep. that you sold to Zynga. I would never think his next company <laughs> is going to be all this stuff that yep. he's going to deliver to people who don't want to drive. Yep. So neither did I. And so I just thought, all right, we had this problem that we want to solve. But I think that's what differentiates kind of like our first time as entrepreneurs and our second time. Um, First time we solved the problem, right? People want to play games on mobile. Let's go after it. Hopefully it's big. Um, but this time we thought, okay, um, one of the big problems to solve, like the one I just said about wholesale clubs. Um, but then there's some macroeconomic conditions and also macro user behavior shifts that could make Boxed into a very big company if they all hit. So shift to mobile, 
millennials now this year being the biggest generation in the workforce. So all these factors, you know, and, and actually CPG being the last bastion of offline behavior that hasn't really gone online yet. So all those things we knew would happen over the next five to 10 years when we started the business. And, and luckily they've been, they've been uh, occurring. So, and you um, founded it only in 2013. Yeah, 20, People would have looked at 2013 and said, okay, it's done, yeah. everything's <laughs> over. Um, but you saw these three trends that were converging yep. and, that were gonna, and that became your sweet spot on your charts uh, when you went for funding. Did you have a tr- any trouble getting funding for this? Oh, absolutely. Really? So, yeah, so <laughs> let me tie up that, that, that last point first. And so um, we thought we, we knew mobile better than most people because you know, even now the top, tra- top charts are still dominated by games. Um, and then we just thought the other stuff we can, we can try to figure out. But you're exactly right. Even after having kind of a, a win kind of under our belt, um, it was still tough getting funding in the beginning. We had a lot of folks that, um, some folks I would say, after you come off like a, a decent exit, um, they're like, okay, we trust you, so go after it. Um, and then there's another group of folks, a subset of those folks, like, this is the dumbest idea in the world, but I hope you figure it out. I actually hope that you figure out that this is a dumb idea and then you figure something else out. But here's a check anyway. <laughs> um, and then other folks that are just like, you know, no, this is just not going to work. Um, and so <laughs> and they're kicking themselves. Did they ever try to get back in? Yes. And I can't name the name of the investor, oh, but yeah, one of our, of our kind of uh, uh, very early investors actually passed on our, on our seed round and actually came in in, in a later round. Oh, yeah. so we could probably figure that out. Is it this? Is it this? <laughs> we'll just go through that list yeah. right now. <laughs> um, so, so there was a little bit of mistrust in, yeah. um, in allowing somebody who is so obviously mobile, social, gaming to go into CPG. Exactly. Right? Physical goods. How did you convince uh, the ones who you convinced, who you had to convince? I just thought that in a... Yeah, in, you know, obviously through all the macro kind of user behavior tailwinds that like, okay, something's going to happen here. And I think though th- these guys and gals, they don't have logistics experience. The playbook for logistics and all that other stuff, not that it's 100% set, but there's a decent playbook out there on like how you operate a physical logistics e-commerce business or mobile commerce even. Um, but when it comes down to the merchandising and everything else, that's completely kind of greenfield, right? And if that's completely greenfield, then it's basically a two-way race. You know, are kind of the drugstores and the supermarkets of the world going to figure out online faster, online and mobile faster than the mobile and online folks like us going to figure out retail, right? Well, I and think we figured race. out the answer to that. Well, uh, yeah, TBD, <laughs> but we're still in the race, and so. Um, so, what was your next? Okay, so how much did you raise in the first seed round, and yeah, what were you trying to prove? So we raised one point uh, one million in in the seed. Um, we did a seed extension right before our Series A for another three hundred k or so. Um, bringing the total seed to 1.4 million. Um, and what did you use the, the seed extension for? So it was, and here's a bit of I'm seeing advice, a lot. Yeah. I got to say, I'm seeing a lot of seed extensions right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. tons. And it looks to me like another <laughs> round. So, so 1.1, we needed to test. So we built the platform. So I think there was a recent Quora uh, question about like what, what technologies this box to use on the back end, like off the shelf. Well, actually, we built just about all of it ourselves. So the whole checkout system, all the e-commerce stuff. Um, so we built that, out, built a team, built that out ourselves, and then built our kind of first fulfillment center, aka my garage. Uh, and then later on, um, as we were growing pretty quickly, we used the seed extension to move out of my garage and into kind of a still 
looking in hindsight, it's kind of like it's still a tiny facility, but at the time we're like, wow, you know, 10,000 square feet. Oh my gosh, you know. And, and that first market that you were, like the first thing you were trying to prove, uh, was it in one market? What? It was, yeah. Was so New York? Yeah, so New York, <laughs> New Jersey, Connecticut was our first mini launch. Um, and then we had like an outpouring. So it did pretty well in the area. And then what we found was that, oh my gosh, like so... People in urban areas were ordering, but also people in the burbs were ordering as well. And then we had all these emails coming in saying, hey, I'm in blah, 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 or I'm in Montana, I'm in California. We're like, when is this coming to our state? And I just thought, okay, we might be onto something. Because I'll be honest, like when, when we planned the business, it was about the physical means because that was a problem we solved um, or we're trying to solve. But the time and the patience and how well it's doing outside of the urban areas, that was a surprise to us. And so... Yeah, um, it was, shocking. Yeah, so <laughs> just walk the path and hopefully different different opportunities occur. So tell us a little bit about the business model. Um, how do you guys make money? Yeah, so we're a startup, so I don't think, well, I don't even know we're supposed to make money. So I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh kidding for everyone out there, like, that is not going to get you your seed extension. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, in, in a variety of ways. So if you, if you look at um, just the, 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 the most consumer-facing kind of component of it, we, we buy goods and then we sell them for a markup, right? And so we have to be very disciplined that it has to be, on the unit price level, it has to be very competitive, but at the same time that, you know, we're not going bottom of the barrel pricing and trying to, like, start a price war, you know? And so that's a, the very fundamentals of every commerce business. But also what's interesting is if you look at um, grocers, uh, drugstores, and, and even us, right? There's a lot of uh, kind of subsidies coming from manufacturers in terms of, hey, we want this end cap or we want this, uh, we want this to be above the fold on the website or on the app. And so a lot of that actually subsidizes the, um, the overall operations of, of the business. And then lastly, I think now that we have a, a base of a few million kind of folks on file, now kind of, you know, what, are, what else do, do they want? And so I think we haven't extended the, the, the assortment yet um, because I think we haven't found a consensus with our customers in terms of like, okay, we want this. This would make our lives easier or better. How are you asking them that question? So obviously through surveys within the app that we pop up, but also constantly, you know, with focus groups and and really talking to them. Um, We have our head of data. um, Every other week he's on and he just goes through random customers and just talks to them like, what do you hate? What do you love? What else do you want to see? And so we can add stuff in there that we feel like we can sell. But then I think that's when companies lose their way, right? It's like, you know, you, you knew box is one thing and you come in and suddenly we're selling, I don't know, random stuff. You're just like, mm, what, what is all this stuff? And, and this isn't the same experience anymore. So we're pretty careful about it. Were you aware of the companies that have come and gone in this space? And- 100%. <laughs> and a lot of our investors early on were like, you know. Webvan. Yeah, they're like, um, I'm not sure how old you are, Che, but I was like, I was like, no, I was around for the first, first boom. And so like, there was a company called Webvan yes. and a company called Cosmo, you know, and I'm like, yes, I know, you know. Um, so what made it different? I, I mean, sometimes a company succeeds merely because of the right timing, right? Yeah. Market timing yep. is the biggest um, reason why a company will succeed. So yeah. what is different about the market now, I guess, are the three trends that you talked about earlier. I think so. Th- those are the three trends which can help us grow top line and, and overall sales and kind of awareness of the company. Um, we... Well, knew about Webvan and kind of what 
uh, were the kind of pitfalls of that business model and try to solve for each one of them. And so uh, in the end, I guess the output, so all the different inputs on how we do it, um, uh, got us to achieve an output of, of $100 average carts. So the average cart on box is over $100. The median uh, cart is still around 90 to 100 bucks. So it's all very much in that, in that kind of space. Webvan got in trouble when they were delivering 25 sent packs of Wrigley, you know, like, yeah, exactly. And so, um, so for us, you know, we, with a variety of ways, you know, get everyone to, to make us their stock up trip. Right. At the end of the day, if you want a one-off item, Amazon does a really good job of it, you know, and I'm still an Amazon customer. The majority of our customers are still Amazon customers. Right. Um, but if you want that CPG stock up trip, like if you imagine parking a car, whether you go into Walmart or Sam's club, we want the folks that would park their cars, even though the two companies share the same parking lot, would otherwise they would go into a Sam's Club, and so that's basically what we've done. And so when you go into Sam's Club, you're there to stock up, and so that makes the entire operation a lot more prone to to generating a, a good basket than a one-off tube of you know toothpaste. And that is the one paradigm shift that makes you different from Webvan. It's just you have this very clear image in your mind of what that customer needs to come to you for. Yes. It's not just for any type of shopping. It's not to replace Whole Foods and Amazon and this and that. Yeah. It's actually just to stock up. I yep. love that. Exactly. And so that's the hardest part sometimes to stay disciplined, right? Because you have people saying like, if you only cared this, I'd shop with you. Or if you only cared that. But then you're like, oh my gosh, you know? And so... So how many SKUs uh, have you kept it down to? Only 1,000 right now. Um, and so that grew from 300 when we were in my garage and now it's a thousand. Um, I think we'll always be very limited in skew. I don't know if a thousand is the right number, but we also have a lot of discipline that it's not like if one customer wants it, then we'll carry it for everyone because then I think we can't offer the same type of savings if all the customers want it. And so with a thousand SKUs, we concentrate our, our, our buying power into just those items and we're able to turn a lot of those items. And also, um, we pass along the savings back to the customer. It reminds me a little bit of um, like Office Depot or something. Yeah. Right? What, they're just very limited and it's only for offices. Have they been nibbling away at your... So actually that's incredible insight and not... That, that's probably the... You're the first person who's picked up on that that's not from the general industry. You know, because that's... So I, and I'm not, I'm not BSing because like seriously like... And so I win. if I you win. think about like the staple... And so that's why like it's the reason why I, I mentioned it like... Most people think that, oh, these guys are going head-to-head against, uh, of course, not, not only Amazon, but like BJ's, Costco, and Sam's Club. But the reality is that it's CVS's, the Dwayne Reed's of the world, the supermarkets of the world, and actually, to a certain degree, recently, the office depots and the staples of the world. Because their business, our business is built on a foundation of snacks and toilet paper. Their business is based on toner and printer paper, both of which people are using less and less of. And so they want to heavily pivot their consumer business into, or, or SMB business into snacks and pantry items. Right. And so, you know, when they look around the industry, they're like, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. I think Box is taking some share from them. Oh, so yeah. interesting. Um, so when you, when you first started out, who did you bring on board to kind of augment your lack of knowledge? <laughs> I wish I could say um, <laughs> people that augmented our lack of knowledge so <laughs> it was almost the same folks that were from the uh from the gaming company and and we just thought we could figure it out um we could figure it out to a certain extent um but now especially as we're starting to hit kind of decent scale um you know that's when the adult supervision is there so you'll find folks like 
our head of transportation was like a 20 year veteran of the industry. Um, you know, inside the four walls operations, again, like his entire career managing uh, fulfillment centers. Um, and then even like, you know, it's filled with ex Amazon people, ex kind of, you know, like all sorts of people all around the industry. So, so now, um, a lot of meetings, I feel like I'm the dumbest guy in the room. And so <laughs> I just need to ask the right questions to not, not let out that, like, I'm like, these guys are smarter than me. And then, and they that's my main more job. more specific backgrounds, you know, and experience. Um, so how many employees do you have now? Um, we have, so in here in New York, about 75 or so. That's how um, much. Yeah. And so we try to keep it very lean because the margins are so thin that you have to have a lean operation. Um, across the entire company, um, outside of kind of part-time uh, fulfillment folks, we have a little over 100 now. Um, with everyone included, uh, probably like still under 300 or so. So uh, right around okay, there. Okay, so some of them are in New York, and then the others are, where are the other people? Um, out in the West Coast in the Valley, uh, we have a few engineers there. Uh, we also have fulfillment centers in, you know, um, East Coast in New Jersey, uh, down in Georgia, also in Nevada, and then thinking about where else we're going to uh, put our next one. How many warehouses do you have, and where are those? Yeah, right now, three. So those would be three. So Jersey, uh, Georgia, and Nevada. Okay. Which state do most of your orders come from? Has that changed since you went live? Yeah, that's changed a lot. So early on, it was heavily New York. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, we found there was a, there was a time when you know, you would, like, people would kind of know, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of Boxed in New York. But then as soon as you go out, venture outside the Isle of Manhattan, we're dead to everyone. Everyone's like, what the hell's Boxed? You know? And so now it's kind of evened out over, over time. Um, but I would say, yeah, New York is still a, a, a very big... Um, a state for us. Um, but it's starting to even out in terms of our, our top 10 states versus our, our bottom kind of uh, uh, 40 states that, or, or like, you know, and so it's been, um, yeah, it's starting to even out. When did you start planning your growth? Okay, so first year, get some funding, get your $300,000 extension. You've proven the model in New York and you feel like, okay, I think this is something. Yeah. <laughs> then you get your Series A, which was not bad. Graycroft must have believed in you in yep. the first round. And yep. So you got some good people in there. How much was your Series A? Our Series A was $6.5 Okay, so um, 6.5, not bad. So what did you have to prove at that point? Oh, you had to prove that this would be, one, that it could be a scalable business. Um, two, that you're the team to scale it. Uh, so it's not like, you know, they come hand in hand, right? And so sometimes you're the team and not the business and vice versa. Um, and lastly, I think, you know, I actually, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I changed that. I would say those would be the major two, that this business is scalable and this is the team to do it. So that it's uh, not just regional New York quirky people exactly. who want to order from you. It's actually, it could be national. Exactly. And because, you know, as probably most folks know out there, it's that every time you take additional capital, the, the bar of, of kind of what you need to execute into and what constitutes a good result for, every, for a, re, a good result for everyone is like it grows exponentially. It's not just like it inches up. It's just like suddenly it's, you know, gigantic, you know. Um, At this point, did you have choices in investors or were you still having to kind of sell, sell, sell? To a certain degree, but it was still very kind of sell, sell, sell. I would say... What year um, was this by now? This was 20... Oh, geez. uh, 2014. Oh, right. So end of 2013, beginning of 2014 is when we raised our... Our, our Series A, and that was, um, you know, to your point, like that was 
taking every investor meeting available to us, hat in hand, up and down Sand Hill Road, everywhere, basically. Was um, it easier to sell to the East Coast or the West Coast? I see you have a lot of East Coast investors. Yeah, so I think, I think this has been better over the last three years or so, but at the time, um, you just had West Coast investors that you know, didn't have an East Coast office and just thought, I've only got a limited time set, and so if I take an East Coast board seat, that means like, like every few months or if not once a month, I've got to get on a plane and go out east and right off a day. They, you, you know, know they hate coming yeah. out east. Exactly. And so <laughs> that's, you know, that's the, uh, that's, that is in their mind for a lot of them. And so sure. um, that was one. So that's the reason why we have some West Coast investors, but a lot of, of, of East Coast investors in our early rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I would add a point onto that in that I think uh, at the Series A, um, kind of my, if I could give myself advice, it, it's just... Um, you know, at some point in time, if you're, if you've, if you're out there and you've raised your seed, then you, you take all these meetings and you're like, okay, let's keep in touch. Keep me updated. At some point in time, you have to take the leap of faith and just say, okay, this is the forcing function. We're going to raise a series A and it's going to work or it's not going to work. And so a lot of entrepreneurs just think, okay, we're keeping in touch. And then like, you know, by the time they're like, okay, we need to raise our series A. It's already too late. So you almost have to force yourself to, to set a forcing function and say, I'm doing it this month. Yeah. If it's not going to work, then this business is, might not work. You know? Yeah. It is so. a little scary to go out and make the actual ask. Exactly. Instead yeah. of all the flirtation. Yes, exactly. The way. Exactly. Hey, so, baby. Yeah, so I, yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but <laughs> that's exactly right though. You know? And so yeah. I think you know, at some point in time, you just have to say, we're doing it at the end of this month and you really have to come along or you're not, you know? Yeah. So no, at the point at which you went for the series eight, how strong were you in oh. terms of like, you know, <laughs> so, in terms of traction? Yeah. So that was, so that's a great question. Um, and what was that moment for me or, or, or us and kind of what was that forcing function for us? It was that I think we were growing for our third straight month over a hundred percent month over month. Yeah, and I just thought if we're not if we can't raise a Series A based on this this type of growth, then we're not going to be able to. They love that one hundred percent Y M O M. Yeah, and I was thinking like, okay, if we can't get a Series A done when we're growing, we're doubling the business every thirty days. Forget it. Then you know we're not. We and should also, shut it down, you kind know? of like in the back of your mind, you're worried it won't continue like that. Yeah, it, you're like, uh, how yeah. much, how long can we go like this? This is not going to last. So that too, and so I felt like, all right, we got to go now. And so yeah, that luckily. Was smart. Yeah, luckily. It, so it, you were happy with the terms? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so uh, better times back then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then got a great group of, uh, of, of investors. So yeah. um, So then the next thing you had to do was, um, as you said, scale it and show that you're the team. Yeah. So yep. it seems like you successfully did at least one or two yeah. of those things <laughs> over the next year. So luckily, our, our core group is all together. So uh, And the business has scaled uh, quite well since then. So luckily, I think we hit both of those milestones. I think the difference between A and the B is that A is like vision. Is this the team? Is this the general business? B is like what's working, what's not, you know? And so at the B, generally, you know, it's not like everything's perfect and something's not working and something, some things are, you know? What were the things you, that strike you as the things you most needed to work on? To oh, so, you know, um, so we were still growing very quickly. The AOVs were still holding up, but now it's like, um, even just something as simple as keeping up with the orders, you know, uh, fulfillment centers. Who's going to help us scale fulfillment centers now that they're getting bigger and, and just and more operations? And keep it cost effective because that your too. margins are that low. That too, exactly. Yeah. And so 
how do you motivate uh, fulfillment center folks? You know, all those questions started to, to come into the picture. Yeah, because um, you couldn't pay them more per hour. Exactly. And so well, we already paid them, like, now it's like 30% up the general wage wherever we are. Oh, wow. And so, but even then, it's like, you know, like, you can't build a business, like, paying, uh, you know, pickers and packers $30 an hour. It's just not going to work, you know. Like, then the whole <laughs> business isn't going to succeed, you know. And no one's going to get paid, you know. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, I thought at the B, that was the shift, that it was a lot more metrics-based, a lot more model-based. Like, all right, where at A, you have a model, but you're just like, the business is like 10 months old, 12 months old. Are you really, you know, B is like, okay, is this model honed? Do we start believing this? And then actually in our latest round C, it's like, all right, like, you know, then they pull the B model and say what worked and what didn't. And there's no more kind of finagling. It's really, it's just numbers, right? At that point, like what worked, what did you hit? What did you miss? You know? Yeah. And so, how are you going to do more of the hits? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And do you think in this, like, at what point does marketing become more important for a company like yours? Yeah. I think early on, um, between holding inventory, shipping the products, um, building the platform, we, our marketing budget was zero. We literally didn't do anything. So we had to make sure it was a great experience that if we convince you to order, that you would at least tell one other person, right? And so um, early on, the budget was zero. But now, especially after the A, after the B, and now especially after the C, it's just awareness but mm-hmm. from there on. And, and so marketing is a, is a so, larger yeah, portion Yeah, it becomes of part of your budget now. Yeah, a huge portion of, of the budget. Yeah. And in the beginning, did you benefit from word of mouth, from PR? Did you have any lucky breaks in the press yeah and so um uh definitely we were lucky enough where when you don't have a marketing budget and you have like let's say you're an early stage startup and you have five thousand or ten thousand then i think the best bang for the buck is actually to get a great pr firm or person to help you you know uh get into that 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 stream of 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 kind of you know stories or or news events right um so that's how we deployed it early on. Our very limited to zero budget. Um, so you paid somebody. Yeah. So we hired a, a, the same firm that we used at our at our last company to help us with PR. So uh, because we had um, uh, a, a decent outcome last time, um, Zynga was still kind of uh, you know the zeitgeist of, of of technology at the time or part of it. Um, uh, you know we had peop- uh, outlets willing to to cover us. Which firm was that? Uh, so they're actually mainly a gaming firm that's now more lifestyle as well, a triple point PR based here. Actually, based out in the West Coast, but at the time they had a pretty big uh, New York presence as well. Interesting. Um, but then later on, I think, um, yeah, that, 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 that definitely kind of shifts that you can't just rely on, on, on PR. And in fact, you probably want to draw a very fine line between kind of saying too much about the business and actually kind of like operating business and speaking to consumers. <laughs> yeah. But that moment, sorry, Laurel, um, was, um, uh, Kathy Lee and Hoda, uh, on the Kathy Lee and Hoda show. Like, uh, yeah. And so, um, they, uh, they called us and said, can we, you mind if we talk about you on, on our show? And I'm like, um, am I missing something? Of course that we don't mind, you know? And so, uh, on air, you know, they said like, because they were doing different kind of technologies for moms oh. and this was one of them they were like this is genius <laughs> like, and then that was that was one of the catalysts for for our series a oh my yeah. gosh and really? so mix of luck and execution so press can work <laughs> in terms of your growth strategy and being able to scale so quickly i mean you literally went from you know nothing to 100 percent month over month month growth and i presume that speed continued through 2015 2000 and uh and and 13 into 
14 as well. So yeah, like we were still growing at an incredible pace, um, even though we're still going at an awesome pace today, given our scale, but definitely not 100% month over it's month. It's hard to, yeah. yeah, you can't continue that. Yeah. But, um, but still, uh, what do you think most explains the growth? I think solving a real, because at that time we didn't have a marketing budget yet. So solving a real problem for, for, for a lot of people, I think is, is kind of, you know, my unsophisticated answer uh, of that. So you just think having a good product is it? I think. Is it the UI? Is it, I mean, yours is mainly accessed through the web or through mobile? Yes. 70 plus percent through, through mobile native mobile apps. Um, and so I thought it was, yeah, just like a problem that a lot of people out there had, um, driven and awareness was driven by a little bit of PR. Um, then things took off, you know, so you didn't use SEO heavily or email. No, because you know, most at that time we were mobile only. And so SEO didn't matter at all. Our landing page for boxed, uh, or boxed.com was, was only a landing page to get you to download the mobile app. But people would die to have that kind of growth. Um, how did people find you in the app store? Yeah, so um, we weren't um, uh, top of the charts. Um, so I think we got real lucky where um, there's, a different, there's different kinds of businesses. I think if you are... If, uh, commerce businesses, what I've found, can scale quite well without dominating the top charts of the app store. Um, I don't think media businesses can scale as well because it's all about, it's it's an explosion of growth. Um, So that's one thing that I I found. Um, And so, in fact, most of our early growth was kind of what I mentioned before, just word of mouth. Um, Because again, no marketing budget um, uh, and just a lot of growth hacking by us. And so um, just people finding out uh, about it. And, and, you know, so same reason uh, if I, if I played the clip now, just like Kathleen Hoda literally saying like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, we need this, you know? And so, that kind of validation on air like really helped us. <laughs> <laughs> so East e-commerce startups have gone through a tough time recently with online retail being dominated by giants such as Amazon. How has that downturn affected Boxed? Um, so we got really lucky um, when we raised the C when times were still uh, decent. Uh, when we were closing our C, like the, the, the private kind of placement markets were already kind of shifting underneath us. Um, but yeah, so we got real, real lucky with that. Um, affected us in that uh, even today, you know, growth at all costs is not only not in style, but it's like the furthest thing that you should be doing, you know, because I think you walk into a meeting and you say, we're, we're growing 100% month over month. It literally, I, even in the late stages, they're like, it impresses no one anymore. You know, it's at what cost? What are you burning? What do the unit economics look like? Right. And so a lot of that has really affected us in terms of, okay, now we have to re- like stuff that we would have loved to do that we would have funded, you know, and, and you know, funded that project internally. It's something like, wait a minute, you know, like let's focus on the core business, uh, get that in a great place before we, we go after some of the other stuff. So your goal this year is basically to kind of um, optimize the unit economics as much as possible, Absolutely. get profitable. Absolutely. I'm presuming you're not profitable yet. Not yet, but I think... When I do you think you will be? Hopefully sometime in, uh, in, in 2017 oh. is where we'll... we'll, we'll hit that breakover point or, or that rollover point. I think though, I read all about these, you know, I, I love reading books about entrepreneurs and, and kind of their, their journeys. And you can tell like there's a common thread. If they ever got the profitability, that was a huge shift in them. It, because 
they were in charge of their own destiny, you know, and they were in control. And so uh, I hope we get to that point where, where one day it's like, you know, raising capital is a, is a nice to have, not a need to have again, you know? Well, you can always get to that point right now. You could just yeah, slash yeah, costs. Exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> but you, it, um, doing it in, in the right way where we still are, are, are growing in a good clip. Yeah, totally. No, you don't want to, you don't want to hamstring your growth yep. in order to get to profitability. And it's really, it is really lucky that you got to your series to see before you, you know, before you, you had to raise again. You know, when I, sorry to ask you a question, but like Media Bistro. And so seeing kind of the environment then and now, I mean, some parallels, right? Some, some things are different yet. Some, most things yeah. are the same, right? No, so I mean, I went through, um, a few, uh, a few recessions. <laughs> we went through nine eleven, um, and I, I'll tell you, I wasn't as sophisticated as you are, to yeah, honest, yeah, or right. as I am today. Yeah. I didn't know what to do, so I immediately went for profitability because mm-hmm. my investor said, "We're not going to put any more money in until you're profitable." He literally said that, yeah. and that was my main investor. And there weren't, there was no ecosystem. I, I didn't have a choice. There weren't a lot of investors yep. here in, in the nineties who were willing to or the early 2000s who were willing to put money back into startups because snowball.com had melted and (laughs) Webvan had melted and ruined it for everybody. So people literally called me and said, you should stop and delete the .com from your name and uh, rename the company, all this crazy stuff. And I held on to the .com, but I also just contracted. Yeah. I mean, I literally just folded up and, yep. Yep. <laughs> and held on for dear life. And what we did was we came up with new revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So we, we lost our focus in a way yep. because we just had to get money. Yep. We had to bring cash in the door. Yep. So we came up with education, online education. Who would have known? That would be a multi-million dollar business years later. But, um, you know, those are the kinds of things you have to be scrappy and do when you have no other options. Did you know education would be big or is it just like one of a bunch of different kind of it was things. we surveyed our members constantly mm-hmm. to ask so them what they yeah. would pay for and what they wanted and mm-hmm. what they needed and education when they were out of work and jobs was our main revenue stream when when people were out of work they wanted to re-educate and get ready for the next uh career move yeah so it just was a logical uh next step that's <laughs> smart i mean i mean and and the outcome was was awesome yeah and so yeah and ultimately education became our second biggest revenue stream and it became oh, wow. very profitable in the beginning it wasn't so profitable because it was online only. yeah yeah but yeah uh so you just do what you have to do uh, there was a news article recently about boxed employees getting free college tuition for yeah. their children. Tell us uh, what prompted you to implement that policy and how are you going to sustain it through these uh, <laughs> leaner times if, if you are? Yeah, so uh, absolutely we, we are uh, or, or I am. It's one of the only times I'll say I because it's actually not 100% connected to the business at all. It's just something that comes out of my own pocket and, and my own stock in the company. You sound like Axe. On yeah. Axe Capital oh, on yeah. Billions. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, no. But, <laughs> he, he pays uh, for the college tuitions of the folks whose uh, parents or fathers died in uh, 9-11. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the towers. And then, you're, and then they find out that he also made $100 million trading during oh, the towers. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, bit, yeah. yeah, I hope. Insider baseball there or inside baseball. Yeah, um, I hope you're not doing that yeah. out of guilt. <laughs> no, so... Um, how we, how, well, there was, so how the actual program works is that, um, you know, the short-term, uh, short-term kind of, um, I guess, uh, responsibilities uh, just paid in cash because you have 
folks that are, you know, just going to college now, right? And so um, this past year, we had someone, we already paid for two semesters. And then this coming year, I think there's additional like three more people, three to four uh, going to, to college this coming uh, semester in the fall. Um, the longer term and how this whole thing works is that it's basically now, if you think about it, it might be the majority of my, my, my equity stake in the company. So that if the, the only prerequisite is that you're a full-time employee, uh, at the time there's either a public or private exit for Boxed. And so, yeah, you have to stick with us because it's a big commitment from us to you. So you have to stick with us this entire ride, right? And so if you do, and if you're there on that day, whether, you know, hopefully if we press the button at the New York Stock Exchange or, or you know, things don't go that well, then it's a private exit, um, then, uh, then, then you're part of that crowd. And so um, at that point, my stake in the company um, uh, ostensibly will be worth uh, uh, quite a bit and I can pay for a lot, a lot of, of of, uh, so this is just out of the kindness of your heart. Yes, but it was it was driven by a realization that there's a real disparity kind of in our country um, of, of folks. And not even like I think sometimes it's not about just making everyone even in the end. I think it's just making sure people have the same opportunities. Right. And here's what I mean by that. Like like we have folks um, that that just literally they're brilliant. Um, they would probably be like a Rhodes Scholar, but just literally can't afford college, right? And so I think in that kind of scenario, it's almost like the system is rigged against them. And I think that's an injustice that I didn't want to happen within at least something that I control, which is our, our, our company, right? Mm. And so... So you're treating I, people like family. You're like the rich uncle helping out your family members. Yeah, so people joke it's like <laughs> Uncle Jay is coming to town. So, uh, But uh, yeah, in, in a little bit, yeah. That's really nice. Um, at what point are you going to not be able to do that when you have like 200 employees or? Well, the thing is like, if you, if you think about the stake and if we keep growing at the way we grow and, and if the company has a great eventual outcome, it's a lot of money and I could pay for a lot, a lot of tuitions. If you look at any big retailer in America, if you take a look at their founders or their co-founders and you took half their stock and said, this is a tuition fund they would probably be able to pay for the tuitions of like multiple companies. You know? I think and you so, should start a trend there. I hope so. And like, you know, uh, unfortunately, I don't see, yeah, unfortunately, like no one else followed me in this very kind of like well, crazy path. We got to yeah. get the word out about it. <laughs> um, where do you see boxed in five to 10 years? Um, any plans to open brick and mortar? Oh, wow. It's uh, that's, that's a tough one. So it's interesting because a lot of things are going omni-channel these days and it's not just about pure play versus pure brick and mortar. It's about just like blending the two, right? And so um, we could take a look at it, you know, but I, I think right now uh, there's so much opportunity in pure play that we want to get that business right. Um, but I hope we're on the path to, to one, controlling our own destiny, but also building a sustainable business that even my daughter, when she gets a credit card, that she can use boxed, right? Um, probably will be a credit card that's co-signed by me, but like, you know, I would be happy for her. To, to shop on box when she has her own kind of buying power. And to do that, if you look at the history of retailers in America, you almost have to access the public markets. Um, and so whatever the market cap is, you just have to float. And then once you do, then, you know, fingers crossed that you can sustain for the long run. Do you think you're going to be able to learn enough to be a public company CEO? I hope so. Um, it's I mean, a, Jeff Bezos probably didn't think of himself that way when he first started, yeah. but he developed and... Same with Zuckerberg. Here, that's that's actually really insightful, and it's clear that you you are an operator because it, it's it, like you like when you started Media Bistro, like it, like you know. In the, I didn't when you're imagine day one, I would ever grow to millions of dollars in sales. Right, and then 
like every step along the way, every step function, in essence, you were reinventing yourself and you were almost in a very draconian way to the board, you were being interviewed for your job every single time there was a step function up, right? And I thought, I, I still think of myself as that, is that every time now that now, you know, I'm still called the CEO, but then I was called the CEO when we were in my garage and there was three people picking and packing with me, right? But then my job then and my job now are literally like, there's no overlap, right? And so I still wake up every morning thinking, okay, what do I need to learn how do I grow into this new role? Very good answers. Um, so how do you keep learning and growing? Um, I think it, it really is just waking up every morning. And so one, I, I read a lot before I go to bed. And so um, finding out like what people did wrong, I felt is more powerful than, than kind of looking at what they did right. Um, and reading about the stories of entrepreneurs that have gone, walked, walked the path before us. Um, and so that's one. But two, waking up every morning, making sure I have my humble hat on making sure that I'm a sponge and making sure that, that I constantly challenge myself to think, how do I grow into the, this new position? Because we are constantly kind of being interviewed uh, by the board, by investors, even by the company around us, you know, in, for our positions every single day that the company grows, right? Like, um, you know, the same things that I was doing as a CEO uh, at seed stage in my garage with three other people are very different. In, in fact, the polar opposite of what I do today. But yet I was a CEO, right? And so every single step, really trying to learn uh, yeah. what I need to, yeah. to do. So just teaching yeah. yourself, do you have any um, mentors that you've been reaching out to? Any smart people at other companies? Absolutely. And so um, I, when I meet with investors, um, um, you know, of course, there's like, I'm like, you know, speed bag. They beat me up. I'm like, what's this? And then when it comes to like my turn, I just solely ask them questions about their background. And so I, you know, between, um, for us, we have a lot of great investors, you know, between first round, so Josh Koppelman there, um, you know, early investor was Jeremy Levine at Bessemer, um, the Gray Croft folks, um, Zolfat at Signia, our latest rounds, you know, between Yuri Milner at DST, um, uh, Jeff Richards at GGV, even Jerry Yang from, from Yahoo, and, and really asking them, you know, what were the biggest mistakes you made, you know? And if you literally put yourself in my shoes today, what would you do and what would you be careful about? And really, you would think that they would offer that advice anyway, but then when you actually signal to them to do that right now, you find that they pause and then they're like, hmm. yeah, it's a different hat. Yeah, like, they have to really think about it. Exactly. It's like, yeah. and then sometimes the answers are different than what they just kind of you know, said right. as, a, as an investor. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. that's been no, really powerful. No, it's totally different. Thinking, putting one's hat on as an entrepreneur. Although a lot of those people were never entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other minor problem. Luckily um, now when we, um, luckily like the business is in a place where a lot of times we can choose investors and we definitely prioritize those that have been operated before. Right. Yeah, because like great. our conversation today, it's clear that you are an operator. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's clear when you never have operated where the, some of the answers you get, you're just like, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever been behind yeah. the desk? <laughs> do you know what you're talking about? Oh, it's so funny. So do you think the Series C will get you to uh, profitability and you will, at, at that point, you know, obviously you want an IPO um, or do something. Yeah, but do yeah. you think uh, this money will get you there? Do you think you want it to yeah. get you there? So absolutely. So this is the round that gets us to profitability. And then after that, though, then it becomes a choice to raise more money. And that could be deployed not in terms of subsidizing operating costs, but in terms of really going after like whatever we want to go after. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Um, 
Before we say goodbye today, what are what are your asks, Shay? Um, are there any things you need? Anything you're hiring for? Tell um, us. So absolutely. So um, definitely merchandisers and buyers and folks that that have experience in that in, in that industry. It doesn't need to be consumer packaged goods, though it's a though it's a bonus. Um, Mer- merchandisers and buyers for online or for uh, online uh, brick and mortar works as well. I think if you have that skill, that then it, we can kind of mold you into an online buyer. Um, we're a technology company, and, and engineers are always in need. What so, kind of stack do you guys operate? Uh, so iOS, Android, um, on, on the uh, on the on the back end, we use Node.js. So so uh, so anyone out there? But you know, if you're a good engineer, you know, it, language you're pretty much language agnostic, right? You could pick up any language, and so. Is there any technology in particular that you use to streamline the warehouses? Yeah, so we actually wrote our own warehouse management software and own inventory management software. <laughs> so it's all iPad based, and so. It's very strange. Most warehouses you see like this dot matrix screen and these dot matrix, but ours is actually all iPad based. And so um, that's been pretty, uh, pretty interesting to build. <laughs> so. All right, great. Thank you so much for coming in, Shay. I really, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. All right, bye.